Welcome to Recalculating Adventist Life Now. I'm Skip Bell, your host. The focus today is the global environment and Bible prophecy. My guest is Scott Christensen. After a number of years serving the Adventist Development Relief Agency in Mongolia and China, Scott became interested in researching the relationship of environmental decline with Bible prophecy regarding the end of time. He continues as a pastor, evangelist for the gospel, an author. I recommend that our listeners read or reread his book, Planet in Distress, Environmental Deterioration and the Great Controversy. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And listener, the focus today, again, is uh, the environment and Bible prophecy. So, Scott, could you begin by describing your belief regarding the origin of Earth and life on Earth? Oh, well, um, you know, that would take us, uh, the articulation of my belief would take us directly to uh, Genesis chapter 1, <laughs> you know. I mean, we're, we're told so clearly that uh, God spoke the, the universe into existence. God created the world. And if you don't mind me taking just a minute to expound on that, Skip. Because Go ahead. I, I mean, Genesis chapter 1, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, if not the favorite chapter, because what goes on in Genesis chapter 1 is so amazing and so underappreciated, I think because, because we don't stop and, and ponder and think through. We, we, we tend to read quickly. I mean, I mean, if we just, you know, starting there at the beginning, God, uh, there was the, the earth was void without form. Nothing was there, um, you know, and God created light and and morning and evening were the first day, um, uh, or and 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 boom, we, we go on. Okay, started with light, great. And, and we would just read through the whole chapter very quickly. But just that one verse is is worthy of tremendous uh, contemplation. Because here's the thing: what ha when he created light, light has to be some place. So if there was void, if there was nothing, which is the, um, you know, the literal interpretation of void, um, if there was nothing, then by creating uh, light, God created also space. And then we're told that this was the beginning of time. This was um, the, the, the days started counting from there because <clears throat> that was the first day of creation. And so what we're seeing here is that when God created light, he created space and he created time, and they're all three wrapped together. Now, Einstein would spend months on that, you know? I yes. mean, here yes. we've got light, space, time, and the thing about light is that it is energy and it's also matter. And it's infinitesimally small matter, the photon, but it's matter. So we've got matter, space, light, time. And what we can understand from the creation of these simultaneously is that God also established the physical parameters for his universe. He, he, he established physics. 
he laid down the foundation of his creation and how it would work. And here it is encapsulated in one little sentence. You know, if we go on through chapter one, we find out that God created system after system that in, in terms of, you know, it moves from the universe to the earth. Um, the, the, the account does. And we find that the oceanic systems, the atmospheric systems, the terrestrial systems, the plant systems, the animal life, uh, system after system after system was created. And when God created each one, he looked at it, the Bible tells us, and found it to be good. And so we understand from that that it was perfect. I mean, this is, you know, if God says it's good and he's talking about his own work, then we can have high confidence that it's perfect. It's exactly what he intended. It's exactly what he wanted. Um, and then as we go on, we find that each of these systems are created individually and they are um, uh, perfect. But then when he gets to the end and he's, he's finished with creation, he looks at the earth and we're told that he says it's very good. And which is odd because each of the systems he judged to be good so we can understand perfect. And, um, and then we get to very good. And what that means for me is that these systems, when they are all integrated, when everything is intermeshed, not just one system, but when everything, all the systems work together as a whole, as he meant them to, then it's very Scott, you have described these systems, yes, as being very good. Do you, do you believe the created environment, these systems on our planet are in serious trouble? Can you describe what you're seeing? Well, I think, you know, you're getting at the at some really important question here. Um, but I think we might have skipped a step. If you don't mind, let me let me answer your question by by backing and filling just a bit. Is that all right? Go ahead. Yes. So so here we've got this perfect creation that reflects the character of God. But if we look around us now, we don't, I would argue very strongly that we don't see the character of God reflected in our natural earth. Um, not when we've got predator and prey relationships, not when we've got a disease, COVID, not when we've got uh, uh, parasites, not when we've got suffering, not when we've got so many wonderful people who are suffering from cancer. If you take a good look at the way nature is structured, predator and prey, survival of the fittest, um, from the microscopic uh, uh, bacteria in the soil all the way up to the blue whale. Um, if you take a look at what is in place, then if you say God made this, then it's also necessary to acknowledge that he's something of a monster. If this, if this reflects the character of God, suffering and death and terror and disease and parasitism, then, you know, what kind of God are we serving? If it doesn't reflect the character of God, then what's going on here? Because God is God and he's all powerful. And how could it possibly be that the earth was anything other than, you know, what he intended? So there's a long story. Uh, a long account, which is not the subject of this interview, on how the earth turned from, became, 
from what God intended to what God absolutely did not intend. And uh, prominent in that discussion is the redemptive work of Jesus returning <clears throat> earth to what it should be, uh, or recreating it, actually. But here's the thing. When sin entered the world, its corrosive effects were not just limited to man, but limited to nature. I mean, not, uh, not just limited to man, but very much in nature as well. The entire, uh, uh, all of the systems that God created, and uh, if you want, we can get into how that happened later. But what we see now is a planet that is the, the, the result of Satan's rebellion, the result of sin, the result of being separated from God through all of that. And we see degradation, decay, and destruction on a systemic level throughout the entire planet. Now, uh, Scott, do you believe that there has been some notable increase in the pace of that degradation that might signal a movement of time toward the end? I mean, your comments of the last few minutes could lead me to say, oh, this is just the way the world is. It's a sinful world, and so be it. This will go on for millenniums. Who knows? We better just adapt. Oh no no we're we're absolutely seeing acceleration. Um, you know it's 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 very unfortunate that uh, people today don't live as long as as you know originally they were recorded in the Bible to live back in the days of Methuselah back in the very early days because we have a limited scope of time over which we can or a limited span of time I'm sorry over which we can personally observe change and yet. You know, here I am, 60 years old, and I mark tremendous change to the world's environment, to the world's systems and their decay, to to our to our biosphere, just in the course of my lifetime, to our to our atmosphere. And I'm not just talking about air quality. Uh, you know, in Los Angeles, uh, for instance, to take one at random. Um, when I talk about decay in our atmosphere, I'm talking about the, the um, progressive slowing of the jet stream and how that affects everything. I'm talking about <clears throat> uh, our, our, you know, the effects on our ozone uh, layer. Uh, you know, we've got, we've got a lot <laughs> that's going on all at the same time in system after system after system. They were created in an integrated form, intermeshed, and they are decaying in, in, together as well. But do you see any hard or concrete evidence of this? I'm not asking it, can you recite us data or facts, or maybe, maybe you have something like that off the top of your head, but do you think there is concrete evidence of a change in how this process of degradation is moving forward? Um, let's take our oceanic system. Well, and, and first of all, and I know we're doing this in a scattershot fashion because we're trying to grapple with two very large topics here. What's going on in our natural environment? Well, three topics. What's going on in our natural environment, how that relates to prophecy, and how that relates to the war between Christ and Satan and their respective characters. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. all three of those are huge. <laughs> so here we are trying to track, tackle, you know, all three at once. But but let's do it. Let's keep going. 
the primary characteristic of Satan is selfishness. And, and I would argue that the primary characteristic of life on earth, including human life, uh, but all forms of life, uh, is selfishness. And selfishness as a system collapses in on itself. Do we see uh, signs of accelerating decay? Well, let's go to the oceans. Uh, we've got relatively good data on the oceans. They're very observable, and man has been on them and in them, you know, for millennia, but more and more and more so. We know going back to 16 and 1700s um, that the ocean was just incredibly productive. Uh, you know, you, you've got these myths of you're able to walk across the surface of the water on the backs of the fish. That's not quite uh, you know, that was never true, but it was close to that. You had this this incredibly productive ocean. You had what was thought to be endless amounts of life. Now, there is no ocean, no water anywhere that isn't polluted with uh, plastic microparticles. There isn't any water anywhere that isn't polluted with chemicals. Uh, the last of the fish stocks are being chased by an incredibly technologically advanced uh, fishing fleet from many nations being chased to the ends of the earth. And the, the areas where it's been carved out as sanctuary for fish, those have boats all around them and maybe, uh, you know, and often in them, uh, pirate fishing. Uh, the, if you just take the cod stocks off the coast of uh, New England, you know, that was thought that it would be forever endless, that it would feed feed the ocean, feed, feed the world forever. And those cod stocks were fished to complete depletion, including uh, farther north off of the uh, Canadian coast. So we're on track to have zero productive species left in the ocean uh, by about 2040. Can we, can we track the oceans from a time when they were pristine and productive and amazing and, and all the systems within them, the subsystem worked very well to a point where our oceans are polluted and sick and dying? And scientists say that we are in the Mycocene area when it comes to the uh, era, when it comes to oceans, and that meaning the age of slime. This is a time when ocean life is diminished to a bacteria and jellyfish and, and things like that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's dying before our eyes. And now, uh, Scott, uh, that's interesting. And I have uh, read your book and, of course, kept up in various writings and scientific uh, journals regarding uh, degradation in the air, water, and soil. Connect it to Scripture. You're a Christian. You're a student of the Bible. Connect this to Scripture. Do you see this as a, a fulfillment of prophetic word, uh, telling us that time as God created it, now we're in this era of the fall and of sin, that time is coming to a conclusion? Well, let's go to Matthew 24 and you know Mark 13 and Luke 21. These are all the same event that was recorded by three uh, uh, different 
disciples. And the framework for the event is that uh, Jesus has retired to uh, away from the crowds. He's 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 meeting alone with his disciples, and he's just finishing just finished telling them, you know, uh, the, about the destruction of the temple, and and they they have more questions, and they they say, well, look, you know, when when will these things happen? What is the, what are the signs of the coming of your, of your, uh, of the age? Uh, t- tell us more is what they're saying and tell us and be specific. Um, well, boy, does he tell them it's, in, you know, Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. Unfortunately, Matthew 24 and 25, they're often treated separately, but the only thing that happened between Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 is that Jesus took a breath because it's all one tremendous and amazing exposition. And he, he basically says, okay, you want to know what's going to happen? Let me tell you what's going to happen. And he talks extensively about the end of, uh, the end of time, what's going to happen to his people, what's going to happen to his church, what's going to happen to the world. And so Matthew 24, 6 through 8 are, are key verses. Uh, he tells us what to expect. He says, well, there's going to be, you know, dramatically increased conflict and there's going to be uh, uh, there's going to be famines um, there's going to be uh, disease epidemics pla- plagues if you will such as we are now having with covid you know he gives us these um, these markers uh, so we've got famine we've got disease we've got conflict and it's going to be, and they're going to be dramatically increasing because people will argue, well, you know, you've always had people are always squabbling and fighting, and then someone's always hungry. Yeah, but you know, to the point where it really gets your attention. And Matthew twenty four twenty five is fascinating to 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 read those all the way through. Uh, and then you juxtapose that with Revelation, where it's talking about an extraordinarily dysfunctional earth. The, the ocean, you know, is, is, is dramatically affected. Uh, uh, red tide to the point where it looks like blood and so hot that uh, the, the fields are dry and the, the cattle are perplexed and don't know what to do and the grass is, is, is withering. When we juxtapose those two, what we see is, okay, here is a situation where earth by the choices of man, has become so profoundly affected. The, it, it, the, uh, the foundations of life, uh, the, the systems that God created, have become so wobbly and dysfunctional that the earth is spinning out of control and, and human society is being tremendously impacted. So here's what we know. When there is uh, changes to the environment, such as we're seeing right now, when you get changes to the rainfall pattern, that uh, because and we have always planted where the rain falls, you know, we we that's where we've done our farming for millennia. Mm-hmm. When there are changes in the weather patterns, such as we're seeing now, then we get a crop reduction, 
uh, or when we get a, a astonishingly bad uh, drought, such as we had in the Middle East uh, 10 years ago, then you get a, a, an absolute drop in crop production. And when that happens, it is a, an almost immediate trigger for conflict. Yes. Uh, people that could barely stand their, their leadership, barely stand being poor, you know, they were, their passions were kept in check. No one was rebelling because they had enough to eat. You know, all of a sudden, food is a trigger point. If you can't get enough to eat, you, uh, you rebel. And you've got people that are absolutely not Christian that are looking at security all over the world. And this is, this is uh, settled data to them. They understand this. Then, and, and pardon me for going on, I'll just, I'll just finish up this thought here. Um, but we also know that as, you know, water is a more immediate trigger point. As we see systems in the earth that are being impacted, we're seeing more conflict, but also on the horizon, we're seeing the potential for tremendous conflict. We're seeing more hunger, but as we analyze what's going on with the systems, how the earth is changing, we are seeing tremendous potential for conflict. We're seeing plague right now. Uh, let's call it what it is. You know, all of these things that Christ said would come are coming. And as we look then, change our gaze to Revelation, we can begin to understand that what happens at the end of time in the fulfillment of prophecy is not uh, God's anger, or at least not God's anger exclusively, but a complete and total failure of a system of selfishness. Scott, you have um, described the process of movement from a, a created environment that is so positively designed by the master designer and life as we've experienced it. And yes, we've gone through millennia of time and where sin has brought about degradation, but you, you have in your book and in just this moment of conversation stated something about how the pace of that is increasing and its effect on society. So the question I have is, uh, as students of, of, the prophetic word of scripture, many in our gathering to listen to this conversation are, do we just kind of observe this and say, oh, well, so be it, the end is coming, hooray, or do we get involved? Do we respond in some way? What's, what's the issue with stewardship of creation and what's our response as we see the prophetic word unfolding? Go ahead, Scott. Well, that's a really good question, and uh, it's, 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 it's come up before. You know, I've been uh, working in this area and writing in this area and speaking in this area for more than 10 years, and this whole question has been extraordinarily politicized during that time, as with any resource fight, because fundamentally that's what it is. It's a tussle over resources. Should we commit some of our commonwealth to changing the way uh, we do our industry, to change the way we do we, we access energy, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Um, for Christians, however, Christians have been drawn into that argument um, as Christians for some strange reason. And when the argument is politicized, it makes it really difficult to open the Bible and say, okay, forget the sides that are asking you to join their fight over resources, and let's talk about what the Bible says. 
Um, but when we when we do open the Bible and look at it, it, it is a, it's an absolutely fascinating way and a clarifying lens to to look at prophecy. And the question that you ask, first of all, is it real? Well, yeah, that's very easy to substantiate from the Bible that that the earth is in decline and will continue declining in a lot of these impacts. Um, so so the politicization of this question aside, yeah, it's real. Uh, but then you go to the next question, well, what do we do about it? And the answer is very simple. What did Jesus do? When people were suffering, when people were hungry, when people were sick, when people were impoverished, which are all impacts of the degradation uh, you know, the, of sin's, sin's effect on our natural systems. Did Christ give us any instructions? Well, yes, <laughs> specific instructions. These are exactly the people and people groups we're supposed to be paying attention to. And so, uh, I, you know, after more than 10 years of thinking about this, I come down to two very simple rules. First of all, or three, three simple rules, I guess. First of all, we should be living our lives in a way that does no harm. We should not be obscene consumers of resources. And uh, that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, and that's North America right there. Um, we should also, again, do no harm. And, and we should not be living our lives in such a way that continues to contribute to this problem. Uh, and again, it's resource consumption, it's, it's selfishness, pure and simple. Number three, we should be doing everything we reasonably can to help people uh, through an organization like ADRA or through our own neighborhoods. We should be helping people that are impacted because that's what Christ told us to do. Now, can we reasonably expect that we can reverse what's going on? No. No one has shown me any way except by and through Christ to reverse the effects of sin. And he's not going to put a band-aid on the earth. He's going to re destroy it and recreate it. So there, there is no... Um, we, we cannot change the course. But as Christians nor should we contribute to it, and we absolutely should be helping those that are impacted by it. That's where I've, those are my conclusions. I think I hear you saying that creation stewardship uh, is a responsibility, but to have a sense of knowing that the earth is on a linear uh, time uh, situation history, the ultimate um, end of earth uh, can't be stopped. Uh, <clears throat> we, we should be stewards of creation, yes or no? We should be stewards of creation. We shouldn't make it into a religion. We should mm -hmm. be stewards of creation in the sense that we should not be hastening its decline through our actions. So we do um, what we can. Yes. Uh, we, we, we should, and it needs to be an informed sense. You know, we, uh, um, it, it needs to be, and again, not become a religion, not become an obsession. We need to do common sense things to re reduce our energy input, reduce our pollution input, uh, reduce our carbon uh, footprint. 
Um, and at the same time, we should be, I think, focusing uh, much of our energy or much of our attention on those that are impacted, not just by helping them, not just by trying to to uh, help them with their disease, help them with their hunger, you know, help them with uh, the, the fact that all of a sudden they can't get water. Um, within the context of also carrying uh, the message of salvation to them. Okay. And, and our example is Christ. He did both. He helped, uh-huh. he healed, he comforted, he offered salvation. And really, as followers of Christ, that's our minimum. That's, that's what we should be doing. That's very helpful, Scott. You're saying it's not an either-or. You're saying both help them see Christ, have confidence in God who will redeem this earth and bring about the recreation of earth in his time and at the same time um, provide a positive Christian witness in regard to the creation by caring for it. It's a both-and approach. Is, is that what I'm hearing? Yes, and our, again, our example is Christ, who led a incredibly unselfish life. He, he, he lived out his kingdom of love, and that's our job. Now, Scott, I want to give you in just the final minute or two we have here. Uh, I think I've heard what you have said, and I want I want you to pretend that you only have a minute or two in dialogue with this Christian whom you have casually met. Uh, how do you say to them? Be aware of what's happening and know what the scriptures say and respond to this creation crisis that we're in. What what would you say about caring for the environment and Bible prophecy if you only had a minute? I, I guess what I'm asking is a quick summary. Yeah, it's uh, you you you're challenging me after spending ten years. Studying yes. this, I still have a hard time bringing all of the thoughts and concepts into one sentence, except by saying, you know, what is our example? What is what do we you know, what who should we be following? And the answer is Christ. Um, whether you believe or disbelief in climate change, the suffering of people and the acceleration of suffering is manifestly obvious. The, the, the acceleration of conflict, the acceleration of disease, and we should be um, completely unselfish, as was Christ. We should be living as citizens of the kingdom of love in the middle of a world of selfishness. And the only way to do that is to have Christ in us. And so these big things that are happening and that will continue to accelerate and will continue to be difficult and perplexing. Our one job in all of this is to be like Christ, to, to be his followers, to be the ambassadors of his kingdom. And that means that we're helping. That means that we're healing. That means that we're comforting. And that means we are living a manifestly unselfish life. And I would say that it's that fourth point where we really need to think a manifestly unselfish life 
and make sure that we have no taint of the prosperity gospel in us. Ah, well, and that invites a whole new discussion, too. Uh, You, Scott, just now, what are some of your current research or writing projects uh, that you might say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about or writing about right now? Anything you'd like to suggest to us? Well, I, um, you know, I, I've talked for years, a decade, about the uh, effect of sin on the climate, and I've turned the coin over. I'm talking now about the other side of the um, coin. I'm talking about the the, the uh, long-term uh, war between Christ and Satan, and I'm talking about the difference in their characters uh, between selfishness and love. And, and I'm talking about, as we have a little bit here, how the world came to be the way it is and what that means for us. Um, I co-wrote with John Bradshaw a, a, a good series, uh, and that sounds proudful. I don't mean it to be that. It, what I mean is It Is Written did a tremendous job filming it. Mm-hmm. And it's called The Prequel of the Bible, If you've watched movies, you know what a prequel and a sequel are. Mm -hmm. The prequel of the Bible, and it's the story of the conflict between Christ and Satan. It's the story of selfishness. And if you go to the It Is Written site, you can watch the, um, uh, you can watch those, I think it's five episodes, uh, one of the longer series that they did, you know, on one topic. Um, And there may be a book up, but, you know, the time that we live in, it's, it's video. It's not books anymore. If you want to reach people, it's video. And so with that in mind, uh, here in the Northern New England Conference, we're actually trying to uh, uh, mount a film on, that, we'll, that we'll tape next year uh, that will place, uh, we've got a number of uses for it globally, but also locally. And it covers, again, this same topic the battle between Christ and Satan, how the world got to where it is, what that means. Uh, but it spends a lot more time on the character of God. And it, it, is, a, uh, it is a work. It's, a, it's an hour-long movie. It's a work that's aimed at seekers of truth who are open to uh, the uh, um, divine inspiration of, the, of Scripture. Thank you. Well, thank you, Scott, for sharing those with us. Listener, most of you are familiar with the organization It Is Written. Anyone can just enter that into a search line. And when you come to their website through your uh, browser process, enter uh, Scott Christensen's name or prequel, and you'll probably find that. And we'll look for these other things. Scott, I just want to thank you for the contribution you make to helping us know this is God's world. We can take better care of it. Praise God, he's coming soon to really take care of it. Thanks, Scott, for taking some time with us today. Thank you, and praise God. This is Skip Bell. Listener, thank you uh, for joining us. Until next time, keep thinking and keep believing.